But uh, honestly, church has been going really well. We are so encouraged to be doing what we are doing in our country, but we're not doing it alone. We're part of the Seed Free family. And what we are looking at at our church and our Southeast Asian region, I'm just focusing it, I'm focusing on that. You know, we've got many inroads in the UK. Some of my best, best mates are there. Uh, you know, and all of that, I have fun going to all these parts and even to Australia. We've been coming here since 1983. Uh, so we've just loved the family, the way Australia has treated us. But we are focusing in on Southeast Asia. Of course, we're not doing it alone. There are many ministries and ministers who are breaking ground into Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam and Myanmar and Thailand in Jesus' name. You know, and time is short. Time is short. Uh, we got to move fast. we got to move smart. we got to move strong. And we strategize together. And how much more excited since joining C3 and you guys as part of our family. Uh, just only past less than three years, I think we've become uh, part of the C3. But to be connected with like-minded, like-spirited, like-kingdom people who just focus, love God, and just want to explode churches everywhere in Southeast Asia. So we're just really having fun doing that. And in our own country, Malaysia, a Muslim nation, how cool is that? I come from a Hindu background, and Stella comes from a Buddhist background. God saves us by His grace and mercy. So you've got an ex-Hindu and an ex-Buddhist pastoring in a Muslim country. You know, God has a sense of humor. And you see, all our loved ones, I come from a family of 11, and my dad and mom, all of us come from a Hindu background, but all of, every single member of the Ramaya family have been saved. Uh, I had the privilege of baptizing my dad before he went to, to be with the Lord. Of course, I didn't baptize him and kill him, but he, you know, has gone to be the Lord. And dad was one of my first pioneer members when I started off out this church uh, that we have now. And Stella comes from a Buddhist family. All the family members are saved. Uh, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. You know, we all come to church and, and we sing these great songs and we have a church life. So it seems in the eyes of our secular people. And um, they look at where you're going. Everybody else are either mowing their lawn or they're out surfing in Australia. You love the water. And, you know, and you've you, you got to be foolish not to. It's just paradise. You know, what were the British thinking when they thought they were sending criminals to this paradise? Now they're coming over. Oh, okay. But, uh, but then you come to church and you've got a church life. And you're filled with the Spirit. You enjoy the Word of God. You enjoy... Uh, the worship, you enjoy the Bible studies, you involve in ministry, you involve in giving, you involve in spreading the word of God, buying buildings, buying properties. And we've got this church life. And then on Monday we go out. Now I don't know about you and your country and the spirit of the Christian movement in Australia, but I can speak for Asia. Because from Monday to Saturday, they call it the real world. And that's sad. Because in John chapter 10, verse 10, we all know the scripture. Jesus said that I came to give you this abundant life. And he didn't say I came to give you a church life versus the real life. I came to give you an abundant life that connects all your life. But sadly, in many of our churches back in Asia... They come to church, they try to smile, they serve, they... And how glad I was when, when you guys mentioned connect groups. I could see Stella jumping and doing somersaults because she is the connect group boss in our whole region. 
And you got any questions, see her. I mean, she meets some of our people. They've got three connect groups. Plus, they've got a job out there. They've got a connect group with Christians. They've got connect groups with people who are not yet Christians. And they've got connect groups with hardcore unchurched people. Three connect groups in a week. That goes on. So, it's very exciting to connect with people. That's what it's all about. So, here we got the real life that we go out and we try to earn a living. We're trying to raise up teenagers. Or if you're a young parent, you're trying to get your new house and the car and you're trying to juggle all these things. And we push a lot of this, what they call the real life and our hurts and we are shocked that we can be resentful. I, I got filled the Holy Spirit. I fell. I spoke in tongues. I felt God in church. I felt Him flow right through me. The kingdom of God exploded within me in both services on Sunday. Then on Monday, I find myself jealous. I find I've got envious thoughts of people who seem to be doing well. In fact, I kind of look at some of the unchurched people or people who are not yet going to church or who are blatant, open, Buddhist, hardcore, Hindus, Bible-cursing, Christian, bad-mouthing, anti-Christian people. They seem to be having a good time. And subtly, we don't say that. We, we won't say that. But subtly, we envy them. And we kind of say, God, I, I, I don't get drunk like they or do drugs or, you know, I, I don't sin. I'm not immoral like them. And I hope that by me trying to have this church life, that you would somehow one day Give me all that I've been missing out here. Now, I don't know whether you think like that. You're pretty quiet, so probably you do. Or you know somebody who does. But Asians think like that. Not very different from other religions that you would probably know about. That they would wrap themselves with explosive and, and feel, well, I can't do much in this life. But if I kill myself, I'll get five virgins in heaven. Or a better life. Or I'll be richer. And so they're paid. The family's taken care of. They Wrap themselves with explosive. And sometimes I think Christians think like that. So what I did was this year, I became ruthless. I've been a minister now for 33 years. I'm 53 years old. I know you don't believe it, but I swear I am. And uh, I deliberately said to myself, just as a personal challenge, not to go up to a monastery or try to find private time with God. I said, if I wanted to speak to my congregation and demand that they show up and be faithful and be on time and serve God and sacrifice chunks of money and give towards the building and the missions that we give hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars away and to be willing to lay down their lives, I got to know what's going on Monday to Saturday. <clears throat> so what I did was I immersed myself in taking up a course that taught English to foreign adults in our, in our country. Completely unchurched thing. Didn't get any theological degrees out of that. But just immersed myself, oblivious to people who I was. Wore jeans, tight shirts. <laughs> Went to college like every other person. Sat with professionals who were there, CEOs, but were taking... English language and degrees or doing whatever they were doing. I sat with them. 
I listen to their politics, the pressure, the innuendos, the sex talk, all the politics <coughs> for three or four months. I began to get immersed in what they were saying without allowing my heart to be drawn away by that, but just to smile, sit with them without judging them. Some of them eventually found out I was a minister. And of course, that took a different turn. They started abusing Christianity. Are you one of those Christians who get up on television and say, give me all your money, come on down here. I said, yes. <laughs> I said, don't be stupid, it's a Muslim country, we don't have Christian television. And so most of them were Caucasian, they were from Scotland or whatever, different countries, just that. And I began to understand and feel how my congregation feels six days a week and try to have a church life on Sunday. And I asked myself this question. Did Jesus really mean what he said when he said, I came to give you an abundant life. All the promises that we read in the Bible, all the promises of this is joy unspeakable and full of glory, is that real? Can that really happen in our real life? All the promises of God where out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water and that river will flow into everywhere you, you go and, and there's life that's going to be springing up. Where? In the mess among Hindus and Buddhists and cursing people and bad-mouthing people? Can that work? So many Christians just allow this gap to persist. And they come to church, they feel really guilty. And they feel that they too, even though they're spirit-filled and they're going to work and they're loving God and they're running connect groups and they're serving in church, how is it some of these things keep on coming up and then we feel so embarrassed when we fall and when we make a mistake and when we sin, we do what our forefather Adam did, did we run back into the bushes and we hide. I'm not going to church anymore. I don't think I can serve, Pastor. I don't think I'm good enough to commit myself to the ministry that you've got. You've got a church life. I thought I had a church life, but the real life just exploded into my church life and I just want to take time out and basically I just want to chill, grow cold and backslide. But Jesus came to give us life, an abundant life. A life that you can have when you're struggling to bring up those teenagers. A life when you can have when everybody is chasing the almighty dollar and you're trying to balance between being a good dad and saying, okay, I may sacrifice some of this promotion because these are formative years of my children, but I will still seek first the kingdom of God and there are some things that I may have to give up now, but all these things will be added to me. I'm trying, I'm trying. And Jesus says, yes, during those times, the abundant life that I promise you, the real life that I promise to give you, it will happen. You don't have to feel that there has to be a gap. Some Christians feel really guilty and sad about that. Jesus did come to give us an abundant life. In our weakness, amidst our temptation, in the midst of your struggles of being a good father, in the midst of being a teenager with all your hang-ups all around you and the things that you face and trying to go on for God in your college life, in your work life. He did come to give us an abundant life. Even though we may blow it, God will still give us that abundant life. That we don't have to rush and hide in the bushes. One of the saddest words ever spoken by man to God were the words spoken by Adam. When he blew it, and we all do, 
And when he blew it, he says, yes, the woman that you gave me. Yes, that woman that you gave me. She made me eat. And yes, okay, I did it. And sometimes we say to God, this Christianity was fine on Sunday. I don't know what happened by Wednesday. And we think, well, this God thing is not for us. If you're feeling like that, I want you to know that you're not alone. Christians around the world face trials and testings just like you. This is the real world we live in. These are real battles that you face. You don't have to discount yourself or hide in the bushes anymore. So what, I, what do I say to our people? I say, just come out. You don't have to confess your sins to man. But you can get right, you can, you can get it right, you can get it right with God any time of the day. But don't run away from the one who loves you most. Don't stay away from him. Don't slow down in your walk with God. Time is short. I've been a minister long enough to tell you that is the truth. That there have been times where people thought they had a lot of time and they didn't. Time is short for all of us. And that time can be filled with the abundance that Jesus came to give us. Jesus came to invite all of us to a real life. I, as I said, I, I surround myself with unchurched people a lot these days. Where Stella and I stay, um, we've befriended. We've never put our reverend title up, but people just know who Joe and Stella are. And we've just been nice to people. We go for all their parties. Some people ridicule that. How could you go into a Hindu home, they would say. Don't you see all the idols and the incense and the nonsense and the bells and the smells? <laughs> you know, you know, it's a funny thing that, because he's coming to your country in a subtle way. I've seen all your gift shops with those fat little things sitting there in the incense and people think it's cool to have all those things. What we are dishing out, you are importing. Stop that, stop that. You know, I'm not knocking religion. I never, I... We don't need to. We don't want to. We exalt Jesus. But I mix with some of these people. Some of my guests, my best golf buddies are staunch Hindus. And they're surprised that I even would go out with them. Because every time they get a little dizzy in their religion, the first thing they would attack is Jesus Christ. And they know I represent him. I'm still their friend. I want to tell them that this God who lives in us, who gave us a salvation, is a great salvation. It's not a fragile salvation. No matter what you say, it's not going to crack the kingdom of God. God's not so fragile and docile and intimidated by your man-made words. He's bigger, he's stronger. One of my friends who studied with me at that college for, for those few months... He's a Scottish guy, bad mouth from start to finish. But I hung out with him. Nobody else would. So I hang out with him lunchtime. And I said, you know, I said that Tom, his name is Thomas. I said, Tom, you know, you, you said so much about God and about me. I said, it doesn't affect me at all. I said, come to my church one of these. You won't want me to come to your church. You Christians, eh? I said, yeah, you can say what you want. But if you're a real tough guy, why don't you come? You know, in fact, just come and assess my English. Just sit there and just kind of, you know, let me know where I went wrong and my phrasing of words and my 
you know, my adjectives or my nouns. <laughs> Just come and assess me. He said, oh, no, Joe, he says, God doesn't like me. He said, you don't know what I've done. I smiled. I said, Tom, I like you. And God's better than me. And if I can like you, God likes you. And then he just melted from then on. And he started just becoming this guy who started opening up and talking about his story and about his life. You know, sometimes people think that we Christians live a dual life. And some Christians really feel that it is a double life. That there is this gap. And I pray tonight that gap will narrow. If not, it will diminish. The Spirit will take each of us and say that this abundant life must explode. It's high time. It exploded. It happened in your marriage and in your home. And even if you divorce, divorce is not final. You know, when you pioneer city churches, you're going to, you're going to see all kinds of our KL church, you know, KL for Kuala Lumpur. Anybody know what Kuala Lumpur is? No, that's not where the koalas came from. It's the capital of Malaysia, greatest city, beautiful. I love our country. I really do love our country. That's our second campus. So I preach at 10 in the morning, finish by 11.30, drive down to KL from where I am, Klang, which is a seaport area, have the next service at 12 till 1.30. It's fantastic. We call it our high noon service. High noon. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. All the oldies know this. <laughs> Gary Cooper, anybody knows? Who was the girl who acted as his Grace Kelly? Remember that? Anyone knows High Noon? Oh, I showed it once in a men's retreat. All the guys sat there. When they came out, they said, what's wrong with you? There were only about 12 shots in the movie. They expected it from start to finish. I just loved it because it was a guy thing as he's looking at the... Anyway, now I better get preaching. What was I saying? What did I say before I said about the high noon? Huh? Kuala Lumpur. City church. Oh my goodness. No more gay jokes. No more Muslim jokes. No more many of these jokes. Not funny anymore. They're coming. They want to see whether this church life and this real life and the Holy Spirit can bring that into their world. And make it a real life, an abundant life that Jesus came to give us. While we are still on this planet, we have eternal life. There are no ifs about it. But the real life, the abundant life, can it work? Surrounded by all the isms. Surrounded by all the double standards that try to put us down. Can it work? Turn with me if you can to Luke 18. And verse 9 onwards, I'm reading from the today's NIV. Isn't it funny? Some people get hung up with all the different translations. Everything's good, yeah. I want to say to a wonderful guy like Garth, who's my, my daughter's and son-in-law studying with him. You're going to the real world. I said to my son-in-law when he comes back, you hit the ground running. 
you, you come face to face the real world. He, he was a bank manager and then he came on, t on, on staff to serve as a youth pastor, did a great job. And everything that you learn from Oxford Falls can be applied internationally. However, when you're in the real world and the culture of the real world, a lot of things that you don't learn at Bible school, you're going to be learning out there. And thank God for a good home church that will keep you and love you and tell you it's okay. We can pioneer churches. We can break ground. We can start connect groups. We can release people in ministry. We will see pain. We will see failure. But the abundant life of God, the river of God will still flow. And life will be birthed everywhere we go. And it doesn't have to be this, oh, this horrible thing here in the ministry. And here's my home church or Oxford Falls. Oh, it's so nice. I look at my daughters here, all starry-eyed, you know, every day in chapel, every day in Bible college. All the speakers are good. They're so wise. They're so anointed. Oh, Papa, could I stay another year? Oh, if I could only just, oh, this, I said, go home to the real world. In Luke 18, verse 9, to those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God. I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even that, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even lift up, look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Time for us to check ourselves at the church. Let's understand Jesus' audience. The people who are listening to what Jesus was saying. Jesus didn't just throw out words. He watched his audience. He looked at them. He savored his words. He was in the temple. He had just finished preaching. People were talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus was in the temple and the people up front were the religious people. The people who professed to have had a, a church life. They went to church, they did the programs, they sang the songs, they gave the money, they were involved in many of the things that affected community. Good people, church people, they had a church life. The only problem with them was they were smug and cocky. They had this spiritual superiority over others. They didn't say it. None of us do, do we, in church? We go to church. We are a Christian nation. They are a Buddhist nation. They are a Hindu nation. Oh, such an oppression. Joe, have you ever been 
to Africa. Oh, it's such an oppression because we live in a Christian nation. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Nice one. Then you go to places like England. Oh, Brother Joe, have you sensed the oppression in our country? Ew. All over our nation, Brother Joe, the witches are cursing the Christians. There's such an oppression. I say, you want oppression? Come to Malaysia. We have wall-to-wall idolatry. You can have any oppression. Today you can have a Buddhist oppression. Tomorrow you can have a Hindu oppression. You can have a New Age oppression. Order one. It'll be delivered to your doorstep. Some people just focus on that. Like, There is this struggle between Almighty God and this being. There is no comparison. There are no other gods. There are demons, but they are fallen. There is but one God. What's with this struggle, with this Feng shui, you, you, feng shui, you've heard that, this new terminology, oh, we ought to put our plants here and we've got to build your wall just right because it attracts the energies. Christians are like that too. They find, oh, well, I went to that place and I just felt a Greek spirit there. A Greek spirit? In China? The Chinese can't even say Greek, they say Gleek. Somebody got the spelling long. <laughs> they like the flight lies, not the Greek men. Funny Christians become, you know. So people think here's the church life. All these little nuts and fruit. And then there's the real life. Oh, it's so hard to be a Christian in a Muslim country. Marching on for Jesus. Where's the abundant life? Is it supposed to be sheltered and only enjoyed in the Christian community in church on Sunday? (laughs) And then on Monday we are grouchy and resentful and envious and, and once in a while that life comes through our Christian life and we sit there hurt. Not going to worship God today. Had a fight. My boss. He's an anti-Christian. He's a Mormon. He's a Jesus hater and he hates me. It might be true. We still got the abundant life. We still have the anointing that abides. The anointing doesn't come and go. He remains, the Bible says. Is it okay so far? Don't worry, I'll be wrapping it up. Here was a group of people that Jesus knew exactly, and they were listening to him. And they were going, the audacity of this young preacher, how dare he mention Pharisees? We, who is he to talk about us? Does he know, doesn't he know our forefathers, the kind of things that we have sacrificed, the fasting, the praying, the giving, the sacrifice that we have done? How dare he even talk? Probably some of you might be saying, who's this black fellow from Malaysia, this third world country speak? I go to England and I say, I'm not from a third world country. It's gone fourth now. We're fourth world country. But England loves me because, you know, I, I tease them and I always say, forgive me if I said anything that's wrong. I'm from a third world country. 
So you will forgive me, won't you? And they'll all say, yes, Joseph, we forgive you. I said, okay, now I can do anything. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus said, you know, <clears throat> the, the point is this. If you just humble yourself, you'll be okay with God. If you just said, God, I've screwed up. I've really messed my life up. I'm really in trouble. I'm a churchgoer. I love you. I just get some things wrong. It's okay to be humble with God. That takes a lot of humility. You don't have to have a microphone to come up and talk about your pet sin, your private habits and things like that. But we can go to God in a place like this and say, God, while everybody is having a wonderful smorgasbord time with you, I am, I am miserable, but I need you so much. And I'm not going to run back to the bushes anymore. The devil's not going to keep me hiding from you. I'm going to come clear. I'm going to come clear. I'm going to stand where I'm not going to move one chap backward. That's where I'm going to be standing in front of you. I need you, oh God. And so, clean me up. Help me. Be honest with God. Why this Christian circus and Hollywood acting to kind of have, give my, our non-Christian friends like, whoa, you know, I could never fit in here. Because if only they knew the kind of hang-ups I've got. They, they've got it made. They're so Christian. They're so good. They're so, not me. I can't fit in. I like your music. I like your preacher. I like the preaching. I like the preacher's wife. She's so pretty. But I don't fit in. Because it's not real. Because in my real life, I get banged up pretty bad. And I don't know how to face it. Christians ought to say what? You get banged up? You are the one that's banging me up. I'm the one that's just facing more pressure. But it's okay. We can both go to God. We can both go to God. Come with me. We'll pray together. We both go. We need God. We need God. Jesus said this was the problem. These guys that Jesus mentioned, they looked at their own righteousness. And, and they held in contempt those spiritual zeros. These guys are sinful. I see that in my own nation with Christians who have been Christians for a long time. They almost get uncomfortable with the presence of unchurched and non-Christians. Jesus tells a story of this spiritual giant and a spiritual zero that becomes the hero in the story. I want you to also imagine other people in his audience. And these were the tax collectors. You see, normally tax collectors and publicans were the brunt of everybody's joke. They were the worst people. And if Jesus ever told a story or a Pharisee told a story or anyone told a story, if they wanted to use someone to make fun of and to laugh at, Pharisees were used to that. Tax collectors, you know, the, they were all the brunt of the joke. But in this story... They are going, I can't believe this fella. He's making us look good. <laughs> Just like I try to make a lot of my Hindu friends look good. Listen, in reality, in, in my limited observation, there are some anxious people who are better parents than Christians. 
You've got to give them that. Whenever I hear someone saying, oh, but he's a Muslim. I'm not talking about his religion. I'm talking to him. The Bible says, honor all men. There are some people who may be Muslim, Hindu or Buddhist. I'm not talking about their religion. I'm not talking about them going to hell if they don't have Jesus Christ. I know that. But the Bible says, honor them. Anyway. Oh, Malaysia needs a Christian prime minister. We will never get it constitutionally. We have to have a Muslim. That's constitution. But you know what? Our Muslim prime minister cannot deny that the Christian work in Malaysia is the reason that's keeping our nation afloat. He said there are more churches in our country than there are mosques put together. And he says the, 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 the reason why we have survived so many landslides in our economy because many of these un-Muslim people are Christian. Christians don't walk in parades and riot and have placards. and they, they pray for the... They know we have prayer meetings for 40 days before our Independence Day. Nothing but just blessing our country and praying for our king and our prime minister. I don't agree with whatever happens in our politics. That's not my job. We are commanded by scripture to pray for them and to bless them. We invite them to our functions. We bless them. We are not intimidated by them. They have tried to pass laws that, have, that could have outlawed us a long time ago. But we're still in business and they need us. They need us in our country. And I'm not saying this arrogantly. It's because we've stopped our spiritual smugness and pride. Of treating them as the enemy. They may be victims of the enemy, but they are not the enemy. This abundant life that Jesus gives us can come into our real world. I can't play a, 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 a full round of golf competitively um, with my unchurched friends. Win sometimes, lose a lot. But if they put money up front, I put money up front. And they'll tell me, no praying, Reverend. No praying. Because sometimes they've seen some weird shots. That even I thought, and I never prayed, I promise you, I never prayed. Goes, hits the branch, skips over the rock and lands on the green. It goes over a small little bridge with a big river and it hits the bridge, on the green. And I'm putting for a, for a birdie or, you know, at least a pond. They're saying, this is so wrong. But they just love hanging, I'll be laughing and I'll be in stitches. I said, I promise you, I didn't pray. I didn't pray. I'm as competitive as you are. Bring it on. You want to put a hundred bucks up front? I'll put a hundred bucks up front. And I tell you what, I won sometimes. Big money. Ooh. Is it okay to say things like that? Hey, that's the real world. And when we sit down after that, and when we, you know, Malaysia is so hot and and we're cooling down and they're talking about stories. And it, sometimes they would say, and what is this? I heard once a friend say that there was a, a boy. Now, in, uh, these are CEOs, okay? They're, they're not uneducated. These are CEOs. There was a boy. I don't know whether it's in your Bible or in the Quran. They're not sure. And he killed a giant. Oh, I said, that's David. So you know that story. Tell us the story. So... What happens was just one story. Next time I come and they've had a lot to drink and the party's already started I walk in. Your Majesty, King David, come in. You know, it's just ballistic. But the abundant life is still in place that 
they are therein, and no matter what they may wear around their necks and around their bodies with charms and amulets, greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. And it's not because I'm a spiritual giant, God forbid. I learned from stories like this, where Jesus looks at these people who were supposed to be the brunt of everybody else's joke, and he lifts them up. Now, as we read this story, why was Jesus so ruthless? Why was he so direct? Oh, i got to finish now, wrap it up. Why was Jesus coming on so strong? Because, hear me now, because when we become so superior in our spirituality... It's more difficult to deal with spiritual pride than any other addiction. You see, when somebody is addicted to something, anything, and when they know they are in trouble, they'll seek help or eventually they will get help or you can send them for some help. There are many counseling clinics with addictions or any kind of addictions or marital problems. There are people out there, aren't they? In your country, there, in ours? In ours? Have you ever seen... Any clinic that's been open for spiritual pride, superiority in spiritual things. You ever seen someone coming up to church and saying, you know, I'm a habitual judging person. That's just my habit. I can't help it. I just love to judge people. (laughs) Have you ever seen any Christian say that? But we've got habitual sinners, habitual what have you. Never see people come up and say, I'm a pride addict. I feel superior to people all the time. (laughs) Never. No one comes and says, Pastor, pray for me. I've got some arrogance and pride. In fact, our church ought to start a rehab center for judgmentalism and self-righteousness. No center, no counseling done like that. Very quickly. Jesus said in this story. And of course, when he spoke of the Pharisee, the Pharisee, in our day, we think of all oh, these smug guys who are self-righteous. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were really good people. They were really good people. Let me give you some examples very quickly. In Luke 13, verse 31, Jesus, when his life was threatened by Herod, it was the Pharisees that risked their lives to come to warn Jesus. They were good people. Nicodemus, one of the chief Pharisees, he stepped out of his his, his, uh, 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 camouflage and he came to claim the body of Jesus. Uh, The Bible tells us that Jesus himself said of the Pharisees, these people are good people, they have the laws and they sit on the seat of Moses. He didn't say that they were bad people, he was just talking about and he used these guys who were spiritually judgmental of other people. The tax collectors we all know. They collected tax from, for the Romans from their own people. They were bad people. But this guy just had this self-righteous attitude. You see them in church. All of a sudden you're doing push-ups and you look at overweight people. But yet three months ago, you used to have health problems yourself. You see people coming around McDonald's and all they want is salad. And they look at other people eating away. How could they eat that? And yet we too were like that not too long ago. You, you, you got people like that in your country? How could they smoke? How could they stand the smell of cigarettes? You know, 
Some of them have better virtues than I do. I'm telling you the truth. They are better moms and better dads and more honorable people in the place they work than I know myself or some Christians that I know. And they may have some habits or virtues that may not be pleasing to you. Look at this Pharisee. He gives some adjectives. He says he's an adulterer, he's an evildoer, he's a robber, and he's just like the rest, and I'm not like him, and I'm standing away. And the Bible says he stands by himself, and he prays aloud. Ever heard people pray like that? God, I thank you that you will today speak to my husband who's standing next to me. Change him. God, I just pray for our church. Lord, the music team, they're not being sensitive to you anymore. Oh, change them. Help the pastor to get a revelation knowledge of what you are trying to say to. Oh God, we pray for our pastors. So many of them are falling along the wayside. Bring up greater men and women of God that will serve you. Hallelujah. Good sound effect. Somebody went to the toilet. I, I tithe everything. Everything. God only said tithe what you get. But he tithed everything. The grass. And I'm not talking about this grass. I'm talking about the, the, he tithed the grass. He said, I fast twice a week. Now, they were living in Old Testament times since the coming of Jesus. And the, and the Day of Atonement was the only day in a year they were supposed to fast. In Leviticus 25 verse 29. Which means he calculated twice a week. Which means 104 times a year. I've earned my points. Whoa, what about spiritual mileage? I've got it. Tax collector comes. A Jewish way of describing, I cannot even look to the heavens. Because he always knew God is above. And he looks down in love. He couldn't even open his mouth. One day I met my friend's dad who was suffering from Parkinson's. I know my friend loved his dad and his dad loved him. Very, very close Asian Chinese family. And his dad also knew me as his, as his son's friend for many years. In his final stage of Parkinson's, he could not talk, couldn't move his muscles. But every time he would see his son, tears would just stream down his face. And he'll make some effort to talk. And my friend would say, you know, I don't know why he's crying. And right there when I stood and when this man looked at me, Mr. Lee looked at me and he had tears and he was going through all the expression. I felt that he was saying, if I could come out of my body, if, if I could just get out of this disintegrating body, if my body was better, I'll tell you boys how much I love you. I'm going away soon, but I love your friendship. I love you both to be friends. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Sometimes God is silent, but you know, he is reaching out to you and he's saying, I love you. And sometimes in your silence, when you think that God is, there is a gap, there is no gap. God didn't move away. We went into the bushes. And sometimes when you can't say a thing, God knows exactly what you're saying. And when this guy was so deeply distant from God, he stood at a distance and the Bible says he beat his chest, which was a Jewish thing. And it's only mentioned in the Bible twice, once when the women were standing at the cross and the other time in this parable. He beat his chest. He says, God, 
I'm coming clean. I'm coming clean. This is me. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, in my eyes, in my estimate, this guy went home justified. Today, you can walk home and seal that gap between you and your God. You don't have to go on Monday, college and work, and feel like a downright hypocrite. You're not. God knows that there is a gap. But he's saying, don't hide. Get out from the bushes. <laughs> Your forefather did that, I clothed him. Now I've clothed you with my love. You can just imagine the reaction of the crowd that were listening to Jesus telling that parable. All of a sudden, the tax collectors were pushing aside everybody else and making their way up to the altar where Jesus was standing to speak. All of a sudden, the Pharisees and scribes may be putting their heads down and looking at their brother and saying, you're no different from me. We both ought to be at the altar. There were others who walked away probably offended that Jesus would even bring up such a subject. Jesus threw the gauntlet right into the faces of, the, of his listeners. I bring that same challenge to you. There are people who feel they can never get close to God because we have painted a horrible picture of him. So they stand afar, hoping one day God will have mercy on them. In your connect groups this week, I challenge you wherever you are, get people into your homes. Serve them more than just coffee. Put some marshmallows inside. <laughs> I've noticed that's one of the things you do in your coffee, your chocolate drinks, marshmallows. Baby chinos, my grandson's favorite drink. Can I have a baby chino? Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads before you, we ask that you close the gap between our world, the real world, and our church world. There are some Christians who are in the house today who are saying, you know, Joe, I wish every day could be a Sunday because I love my church world. You know, every day can be a God's day because God goes with you from this place. He goes to your work life, your business life. He feels your hurt. He sees the temptation. Come clean. Come to God. Come back to your father. Tell him, God, I'm struggling in this area. God, I'm facing a temptation at the office right now. Come clean with God. Tell him. Talk to him. He's the last person we should try to hide in the bushes from. You may not be confident to talk to someone else and, and, to, and to get into a little counseling one-on-one -on -one because you, you're not the type that opens up to people. That's cool. But don't stay away from God. Get justified by God today. In Jesus' name. I wonder today, while every head's bowed, every eye closed, if there's someone who's saying, you know, my church life, my real life, it's just two different worlds. But I'd like those worlds to be one. I want the real abundant life. Are the promises of Jesus real, Joe? Are all the promises that he said our life will be an un joy unspeakable, overflowing, precious gifts of God flowing in my life? Are those things real? Yes, they are. Jesus promised it. 
but you're saying can God merge my real life and the abundant life in my real life yes it can if you're sitting there and you're saying Joe would you pray for me right where I am there's too much that's happening I'm not going to go in front but would you just pray for me I've got a church life and I've got a real life and there's a gap but I want that gap to be diminished tonight in this service will you pray for me I've done that for lots of people my own country I've gone into churches and in our own congregation I have to bring people and say come out of the bushes come come clean come clean for God so I'm not going to do that by asking you to come out I'm just asking you to just come out of the bushes spiritually where you are sitting by just responding lift your hands and let me pray right where you are I can see your hand and I'll pray for you I see your hand thank you I see your hand I see your hand thank you for your hands thank you thank you for your hand thank you for your hand anybody else lift your hand and say, I want the real world. I want Jesus. I want the abundant life. Yes, I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Put your hand down. Anybody else?